Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13, and we're going we're gonna to do it a little different today, and I'll, I'm going to read, read it as we go along and uh, work our way through the passage. Some commentators look at this section of Scripture and label it various applications of wisdom or miscellaneous sayings or something of that nature because it's difficult at first glance to see a common thread that that goes through this section. And it seems that Solomon's thoughts are jumping around and, and of course, his words uh, seem to be on various subjects that kind of switch back and forth. But as we look at this section, given that Solomon mentions kings or rulers seven times in this section. Um, I go along with some other commentators who view it through a political leadership lens. And that's what I want to do today, uh, particularly since politics are front and center currently in our nation. However, I want not politics, but Jesus to be front and center in our thoughts about politics today. Not so much President Trump or President-elect Biden or any of these other political figures we hear so much about on the news. This is a day of strong opinions on both sides of the aisle, and wisdom really is the order of the day. Solomon is commending wisdom to us in this passage. In particular, Wisdom in reference to bad leaders. Every time he mentions kings and leaders and rulers in this passage, it's in a negative light. He was a ruler himself and one with wisdom. And he is maybe speaking the truth to us in love. Solomon is helping us live with wisdom under bad leadership. How appropriate for our times. We need wisdom. Proverbs 3 is another place in Scripture that sings of the virtues of wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Her ways... Her long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. We need some pleasantness in our world today. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. Well, where do we find wisdom? Where, where can we go to get wisdom? Of course, we can turn to the Scriptures, but more specifically, Colossians 2, 3 tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Matthew Henry commentating, commenting on this verse says, There is a fullness of wisdom in him as he has perfectly revealed the will of God to mankind. Observe, the treasures of wisdom are hidden not from us, but for us 
in Christ. Those who would be wise and knowing must make application to Christ. We must spend upon the stock which is laid up for us in him and draw from the treasures which are hidden in him. He is the wisdom of God and is of God made unto us wisdom. So as we think about living life under bad leadership, we are forced to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus in these times, what would Jesus do? How would he respond? And what would he as our Lord have us to think and do? Well, we must look to him and listen to him. Because, as Jesus said in Matthew 12, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. If we do not look to Jesus for wisdom, then we should be and we will be judged and condemned just like the people in Jesus' day were. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Solomon throughout this book has been telling us about the vanity of life and the brevity of life. We have a short amount of time and we don't know how long that time is. Paul picks up on this same thought. Make the best use of time. Live wisely. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. We need wisdom to navigate these times. Well, Solomon is telling us of the virtues of wisdom, and he's giving us some advice here in the passage, so let us work our way through it. We'll start here in 9.13 where it says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. We see here that Solomon tells us that wisdom is better than might, though it is despised. You see people in our day seeking power. And that seems to be the, the thing that people are after in our world, especially in the political world. They want to be in power. They want to have power. They want to have power over others to exercise that power. But scriptures here tell us that wisdom is better than power. Wisdom is better than might or strength. It's better than weapons of war. Wisdom is what we need more than power. Look what he says in verse 18. Continuing on, wisdom is better than weapons of war 
but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. In these verses, he gives us this warning that, yes, wisdom uh, wisdom is to be desired more than power. It's, it's greater than might or strength or weapons of war. But you mix in a little bit of folly, and all the wisdom is ruined. Everything is ruined. We see here the saying that we have, you know, there's the, the fly in the ointment. comes from these verses. You can have this beautiful smelling ointment, but a fly in it can ruin it. Um, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. It has more of an impact. So we need to be circumspect in our lives and to live wisely because just a little, little folly can ruin everything that wisdom accomplishes. There's a great verse for you to quote on Facebook for your liberal friends here. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, (laughs) but a fool's heart to the left. I don't think he has in mind our politics of the day with left and right and how we use that language. He's just talking about the difference between the two. And in Scripture, the right is is generally uh, talked about as the way of blessing. Well, then the last, uh, the verse 3 here, even when, fool, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. Now that word sense there is literally heart. He lacks heart. And the heart in the Bible is, the, is your inward being. It's, it's you know, the person you are on the inside. It's your, your, uh, your thoughts, your intentions, uh, your motivations. It's, um, it's everything that you are on the inside, your soul. He's saying here, this, this fool, he does not look inwardly. He has no character, no inward self, no heart, no, no thoughts, no reflection. He has no compass. That might be the best way to say it. He's going down the road and he has no compass. He doesn't know where he's going. And everyone can see that he is a fool because he lacks sense, direction, sincerity even. A little folly outweighs wisdom and honor and can ruin everything. So be careful. Well, going on, verse 4, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Well, he's talking here about calmness lays great offenses to rest. He's saying the, the reality of the situation here is that there are foolish people in high places. There are foolish, and, and you know, we can get a hearty amen to that. Um, people who do not belong there in those positions of authority are there. He says, uh, uh, verse 6, the rich sit in low place. Sometimes the rich are condemned in Scripture, but here is 
It's talking to someone who has earned their place. They have prospered through their wisdom, prospered through their uh, industriousness, and, but yet they're not being uh, utilized in the world. Or, or slaves on horses, and, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. This is someone who is subservient, who, who is a subordinate, and yet here they are in a position of power. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about having the wrong person in the, the, the position of leadership. And these foolish people are likely to be angry without reason. So how do we respond? Well, calmness. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. Don't run away. Rather, be calm. The word calm there, it could be saying, you know, a soft answer turns away wrath, that sort of calmness. When you're the, the object of anger, when you respond calmly and rationally, that can diffuse the situation. But that word calmness can also mean healing or cure. So, you know, when you're healed from, a, from an injury or you're cured from an injury, there is calmness. You're no longer stressed and you're no longer in pain. So it could be saying something like the reality, uh, that, that uh, you know, responding to anger and not leaving your position for healing will lay great offenses to rest, uh, a cure for the situation. When things resolve themselves down the road, it'll be, the anger will be over. And so hang in there. That, that could be captured in this sentence as well. So either remain calm, remain patient in the face of anger, um, and, and things will work out. Moving on. Calmness lays great offenses to rest. Verse 8, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. So here he's telling us, again, he's commending wisdom to us because life is full of danger and accidents happen. He talks about digging a pit and then someone accidentally falling into it or uh, breaking through a wall and there's a serpent in the wall and it, and it bites or someone who quarries stones is accidentally hurt by them and splitting logs. It's dangerous work to split logs with an axe. We need to sharpen the edge of wisdom. Look at verse 10 that talks about uh, using a, an axe or some other instrument a cutting instrument, and if it's dull, you, of course you have to work harder. I got a great knife for Christmas, and, uh, and it just is a pleasure to cut vegetables up because it's so much less work. I've had these terrible knives for years, and you're just working so hard trying to slice things up, and having a, the right tool for the job and one that's very sharp makes things so much better. Wisdom is like a, a sharp edge in our lives. It, it, it helps us make things better, go more smoothly, 
especially because life is full of danger and accidents happen. And in that last sentence is kind of funny in a very dark sort of way. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Uh, if you've already been bitten by the snake, then you don't need a snake charmer anymore because you're dead. Um, it's too late. And so Solomon is saying here, don't wait to apply wisdom in life until it's too late. Seek to always live wisely because it's dangerous in this world. And if you wait too long, then it could mean your life. So again, wisdom is commended to us. Now look at verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now again, he's contrasting wisdom with foolishness. Fools talk too much about things they know nothing about. Words are powerful here. Look, look what it says about words, especially the words of a fool. They will consume him. His words will destroy him, will burn him up, or they will eat him alive. And look at this, verse 13. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. If we listen to someone who's foolish, who is foolish, the end, the result of all this talk becomes evil madness, evil insanity. Fools like to think they have all the answers and they speak uh, without really any knowledge. And Solomon in verse 14 points out, no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? And if you follow a fool, and, you know, suppose you say, a fool says to you, hey, follow me and we'll go to the city. Well, you're going to end up driving all over the countryside. And that's me. I'm terrible with directions. I have trouble getting from work to the house in the evening because I lose my way. For those of you who don't know, I live about 50 yards behind the church, or not even that far. That may be an exaggeration, but I'm not good with directions, as my wife can attest. Uh, but a fool, it says here in verse 15, the toil of a fool wearies him. He, he does not know the way to the city. He, has, he doesn't know where he's going, and so he ends up working twice as hard or traveling the uh, circuitous route to, instead of going in a straight line. And that's what we said a few weeks ago when we talked about wisdom. It's the ability to know the highest, the best means to the highest end. How do you, what's the best thing you can do and how's the best way you can get there? That's what wisdom is. Fools don't know that. It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. And that's what it's saying here. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness, 
Through sloth, the roof sinks in, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now, this just tells us that having a fool in leadership will lead to ruin. Immaturity, you know, we've got a, a young person in charge. Uh, your king is a child, verse 16 says. And this immature leader is irresponsible. He's feasting in the morning. He's getting drunk and partying in the morning. And the land that has a prince like that in charge, woe to them. But happy is the land when your king is the son of the nobility, raised to be in this position, equipped to be in this position, and they're responsible. They feast at the proper time and for the proper reasons, for strength, not for drunkenness. Verse 18 refers to the results of having an irresponsible, immature leader. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Sloth, laziness, indolence, and the word indolence means slackness, just slack and not really uh, tight and on top of things. That ruins people's lives, but when, and I think verse 19 refers to the blessings that come when you have good leadership. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. We, the picture here is you have everything that you need. You have food and money to, to provide for yourself when you have a good leader. So again, he's talking about how, you know, the, the, the fact that sometimes leaders are bad. Verse 20, finally, the last verse here. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Uh, this is the uh, same as like the, 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 the walls have ears. Someone can hear what you're saying, or maybe a spy will, will hear it. Words, bad thoughts can come back to haunt you. Well, on that note, notice how much calmness, quietness, or silence is commended in this passage being wise uh, about when to answer and how to respond with circumspection and not being rash or loud or talking about things that we don't know enough about. Um, these things, these calmness and quietness is commended to us here by Solomon. And it does remind us of Jesus, and like I said before, I want us to turn our eyes to Jesus because he exhibited all of the good qualities we see here. He was obviously the great leader because he was perfect in every way, and he has wisdom embodied. So there is no leader like Jesus. And we do see him interacting with some of the bad leaders that he had, the foolish leaders that were uh, in, in power in uh, in the area in which he lived and moved. Herod Antipas and Pilate specifically at the end of his life. Um, Herod 
Antipas was one of the line of the Herods. There's three or four of them in Scripture, and they all tried to destroy the church, every one of them. Herod Antipas is the one that put John the Baptist to death, beheaded him because of a foolish vow he made at a drunken feast. Herod Antipas was seeking to kill Jesus, and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you need to leave this place because Herod's trying to kill you. And Jesus said, you go tell that fox that he has no control over me or over the events of my life. See, he, Jesus was the true king, the true leader. Herod was trying to be cunning. That's why Jesus calls him a fox. He's not just name-calling and being ugly. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm, I've got to work today and tomorrow. I've got to go to Jerusalem. Then I'll die. And the third day I will rise again. He was in control. Herod could not interrupt that plan. That's what Jesus is saying there. And when Herod does, when Jesus does go to Herod at the, uh, uh, when they have arrested Jesus and he's been tried by the religious leaders of the day, they send him to, or Pilate ends up sending him to Herod and Jesus won't even speak to him. He holds his tongue before Herod. And even when he interacts with Pilate, who was the Roman governor of that province, he answered so wisely and calmly. And sometimes he even refrained from answering. But all through his life, Jesus answered the religious leaders and anyone else in a leadership position that would question his authority or seek to uh, trap him in his words. He answered with perfect wisdom, perfect calmness, with truth. You know, sometimes he called the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders a brood of vipers, but it was more of a loving warning that they were going in the wrong direction, that they were bearing bad fruit, that they were dead on the inside and they needed to wake up. Jesus said the wise thing always. And if we're his followers, we need to be the same, to be like Jesus in all things. Look what James says in James three thirteen through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual demonic. That's strong words right there. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those are great words for our day. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Jesus was this way. 
Isaiah 42 prophesied about him. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait for his law. Jesus is going to bring justice to this earth when he ushers in his kingdom fully, when he returns. And it's not going to happen before then. It can happen to degrees. The more we live in line with the values of his kingdom as we live on earth, the more we will see the fruits of his kingdom shining forth. But it's not going to come until we bow the knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. A group of us are reading through Herman Bovink's uh, theology book, and he makes this wonderful and appropriate quote uh, in reference to the Tower of Babel where the languages were separated and people were separated. They had come together, all the people of the earth, to build this tower up to heaven so they could make a name for themselves, and God says, no, not going to happen. And he makes them where they can't communicate with one another. Here's what Bovink says. Race instinct, sense of nationality, enmity and hatred, these are divisive forces between peoples. He's writing this around 1900, by the way. This is an astonishing punishment. The, the punishment was, was <clears throat> placed upon the folks of the Tower of Babel. This is an astonishing punishment and a terrible judgment and cannot be undone by any cosmopolitanism or leagues of peace, by any universal language, nor by any world state or international culture. If ever there is to be unity among mankind again, it will not be achieved by any external mechanical rallying around some Tower of Babel or other but by a development from within, a gathering under one and the same head, Ephesians 1.10, by the peacemaking creation of all peoples into a new man, Ephesians 2.15, by regeneration and renewal through the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.15, and by the walking of all people in one and the same light. The unity of mankind, which can only be restored by an internal operation, Beginning within and working out is therefore a unity which in the internal operation of that first confusion of tongues was basically disturbed. The spurious unity was radically upset in order that room might be made for the true unity. The world state was shattered in order that the kingdom of God would come into existence on earth. We want unity. We need to live with wisdom but we need to live with the wisdom that comes from above. When Joshua was about to conquer Jericho, it tells us there that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. 
And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And who is that? That's pre-incarnate Jesus. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. The question we should be asking isn't whether Jesus is on our side, but whether we are on his side. That's the appropriate question, not only for politics and government, but also every other concern. You look at the number of Jesus' disciples. He had Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Simon the Zealot was someone who hated the government and was trying to burn it all down. Of course, Matthew the tax collector was somebody who worked for the government. And they came together as disciples of Christ and followed him and not the government. Are we invested in God's kingdom? Are we seeking to promote his kingdom above all earthly kingdoms? And are we looking for him to, for wisdom as we seek to navigate in this world in which we live? Let us turn our eyes to the King of kings and Lord of lords who is going to usher in his kingdom. And that's the only way we'll ever experience peace and unity. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, we pray for wisdom. If you said, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask. And you'd be pleased to give us wisdom. We pray for wisdom, we pray for Christ, for more of Christ in our lives, for more communion with Christ, a more close walking with Christ. And thank you, Lord, that by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. Help us, Lord, to keep in step with the Spirit, to not quench the Spirit or grieve the Spirit, but help us to walk in, in the way of Christ in all things And Lord, use us to bring healing and unity and wisdom to the situations of confusion and foolishness that we see all around us. Lord, you said that the the Christ crucified, Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We pray, Lord, that we would proclaim Christ crucified with our lips and with our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.